My name is Dan Hames. Um, I'm one of the ministers here, and I have the great privilege of um, sharing tonight from the Word of God. So let me ask you, please, to turn with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I'm just going to read one verse. James 1, 17. James 1.17 Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom There is no variation or shadow due to change. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this second Sunday in Advent, I want to soak us in a a, a key Advent and Christmas truth. And it's this. God is never as we would expect him to be. God is never as we would expect him to be. And... That is always good news. That's pretty simply what I'm going to talk about this evening. God is never as we would expect him to be, and that is always good news. What do I mean? Well, you know when we try to think up what God is like, when we try to imagine God, we will always end up being prisoners of our own fallen and limited minds and imaginations. So think about it like this. You know, to our way of thinking, God would run the world as we would do, you know, if we had infinite power and so on. He would give us exactly what we wanted, exactly when we wanted it. He would politely applaud our good works and our efforts. Um, And of course, you know, he'd probably occasionally upbraid us for the times when we didn't do quite as well as we could and those would always be the times when you know the things that we would already probably know that we'd fallen short he would only tell us off about those he would agree with us about the direction of our life and he would certainly spare us any pain or suffering or difficulty along the way and this is sort of what we do in our daily life Um, No matter how long we've been Christians, no matter how long we've known the Lord, we kind of end up shaping a bit of a God in our own image. We create a cozy and domesticated version of God in our minds. And as we do it, it feels very neat and comfortable. Um, It feels quite pleasant to us to imagine God exactly how we would like him to be. But what we don't realize is that the whole time we are building for ourselves a prison cell. That image, that picture of God that comes from our own minds, it turns out to be a prison cell. Because as sinful, limited humans, we can only ever project up into heaven a a version of ourself It's our brilliance, but bigger. It's our nastiness, but bigger. A God who is just like us, 
really no God at all. A God that we have dreamt up can't speak to us from the outside. A God that is only like us can only kind of turn up the volume on the voices that are already playing in our own hearts and minds the whole time. He cannot forgive our sin. He cannot melt our anxieties. He cannot give us rest any more than we can give ourselves rest when we're feeling stressed and anxious and tired and fearful. This God that we dream up, too human, too small, God in our own image and likeness is only as as great and glorious as we are. And when we try to imagine God in this way, when when we let ourselves do that, we are selling short the true and living God, we're selling him short, and we're shortchanging ourselves. We're shortchanging ourselves. We can no more grasp God by our thinking than dry and parched ground can water itself. And tonight I want us to see at Advent and at Christmas, God comes and he blows the doors off the prison cell. That's what this evening is really all about. God comes to us and he blows the doors off the prison cell because at Christmas, God appears. God comes to us. Emmanuel, God with us. And he's completely 100% not as we would expect. He is completely unlike the God we would have dreamed up. We imagine God appearing in power and glory and majesty. And I think when we, even just the sound of those words as I say them, I think we might imagine something like, do you know um, Louis XIV, the famous king of France? I don't know if you can have a picture of him in your mind, if you've ever seen a picture of Louis XIV. He is maybe the kind of iconic, classic, uh, just the pinnacle of human kingship and comfort and status. He claimed to be semi-divine. He called himself the Sun King after the Greek god Apollo. And he lived in outrageous splendor. He spent most of his time taking mistresses and making war um, just for fun. Just the absolute uh, picture and pinnacle of human self-indulgence, human glory, human power. Let me quote to you something Louis XIV said about being the king. This is, this is his take on being a king. When one has the state in view, one is working for oneself. When the state is happy, eminent, and powerful, he who is cause thereof is covered with glory. And he has a right to enjoy all that is most agreeable in life in a greater degree than his subjects in proportion to his position and theirs. That is human glory and greatness and majesty. I've just been re-watching season one of The Office the last week or two. Um, Louis XIV sounds to me like David Brent. There's a kind of self-delusion, isn't there, in that way of speaking. Just absorbed with himself, taken up with himself and his brilliance. And we kind of cringe. We might cr- we certainly cringe at David Brent, rightly. We might cringe too at Louis XIV, 
partly because the pride and the selfishness and the self-absorption is only kind of what we would be like if you know, the seatbelt was off and we could just do whatever we wanted. But it is not so with the living God. It is not so with him. When he appears as God and King and Lord, it is not so with him. At Christmas, the Lord Jesus Christ came as a baby. He came helpless and dependent and humble and small, physically small. He came without pomp. He came without fanfare, except the angel song delivered to a few shepherds on the outskirts of town. He came without displays of strength or military might or aggression, only, as we sing, the little Lord Jesus asleep in the hay. And all this... this, uh, Phrases like that, it sort of chips off the tongue a little bit this time of year. It's easy to say that. The little Lord Jesus asleep in the hay. This is how the living God comes to us. This is how he announces that he's with us and he shows himself. But there's a little bit in our heads that thinks, yes, 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 yes. But isn't that sort of temporary? Isn't it that when Jesus comes in humility and weakness and smallness as a little baby, that's just one chapter in the story of God. That's just just part of the story. And we don't want to get too carried away with all this sort of sentimental, Christmassy, lovey baby stuff. We can't say this is how God comes to us, like Jesus laid in the manger, and then just leave it there. We, c- we surely can't just say that, and then, you know, that's it. The baby Jesus is lovely, but, but God is, well, God is, well, you know, God, <laughs> right? <laughs> and behind all the humility and the smallness of Jesus in the manger, surely behind all of that is But listen to James, James the brother of the Lord Jesus. With God there is no variation or shadow due to change. This is the first of two things I just want to take from this verse tonight. With God there is no variation or shadow due to change. That is, God does not change or progress. God does not alter himself. God does not go in a certain direction and then U-turn and backtrack. God does not click undo. He is always perfect. He is always true, true to who and what he is. In all God does, he is entirely himself, without any contradiction. The theological term for this is that God is immutable. God is immutable. He does not change. And nothing from outside him can force him to be any different to who and what he is in himself. 
This is our God, James 1, 17. In God, there is no variation. There's no variation. The Greek word here means literally fickleness. He doesn't just do one thing and then sort of flit onto something else. He's not fickle. Even actually at the root of that Greek word is the same root as our word for parallel. You know, God doesn't work in parallel with himself. He doesn't be himself and then kind of do something else on a different level. It's not as if he is one way towards us on the surface. He's like Jesus and humble and caring and loving and gracious in the manger. But in parallel to that, behind the scenes, he's also something else. And those two parallel lines never meet. There is no parallel in God. He's not two-faced. No, he is dependently, consistently the same towards us. The other phrase there in James 1.17 is that with God there is no shadow due to change. No shadow due to change. Literally, there is no turning. There is no turning. We hear in the news all the time, don't we, about government U-turns. U-turns, and it's always a bad thing. You've said one thing, and now you're doing another. With God, there is no U-turn. He doesn't decide to say or do or be one thing and then do the opposite, going back on himself. There is not even, James says, a shadow of that with him. Not even the, the, the faintest flicker of a possibility that God would pull a U-E. No doubt that he is entirely, consistently, wonderfully, always, always, always being himself. And that means the manger was not a detour. The manger was not a detour. The humility and the grace and the beauty of God in Christ, the baby lying in the hay, it's not, it's not just something God just happened to do. And it's not something that he will ever retract or revert from because there is no other way that he ever was or ever will be. This is who he is. Jesus is Emmanuel, God, with us. The baby that lay there in the manger on that first Christmas morning is the one who was and is and is to come eternal God. The wise men and the shepherds, they came in to worship him as God and king in the manger, in his mother's arms, as a little child. And yes, Jesus grew up. Jesus became a man and presumably a pretty big and strong man who was essentially a construction worker. We think carpentry and we think of you know, building cabinets and stuff. He would have been a construction worker. But that man entered Jerusalem as king, not on you know, a great war horse, but a donkey in humility. And that man went to the cross in suffering and weakness, self-sacrifice and love for us. Those of us who were his enemies then, lost in darkness and sin and set against him, he chose that way of suffering for you and me. Friends, this is our God. 
this really is our God. And we cannot imagine, we cannot afford to imagine that after the manger and after the donkey and after the cross, Jesus somehow went back to being properly God again. We must never imagine that. None of this was a detour. He is not going to turn around and go back to being something else. This is our God. This is it. So look at Jesus in the manger this Christmas and you're looking at what God wants to tell you about himself. You're looking at what God wants you to know about him. Look at the manger, look at the donkey, look at the cross and think James 1.17, this is God being completely himself. And we have to ask, you know, well, where else could we even go to get a better idea of what God is like than Jesus? What, where else could we stand to get, you know, a better vantage point on what God is like than in Jesus? How could we somehow sort of get behind Jesus and sort of backstage into the life of God? All of the big, clever philosophical minds of history, all of you know, the big Oxford brains, all the religious visionaries and leaders, we've all tried thinking of, of doing that, of getting past Jesus to what God is really like. And they must all, and we must all, submit ourselves to the little baby and bow down in our thinking and our intelligence and our cleverness to Jesus Christ. It may be uncomfortable, it's certainly counterintuitive. It's almost insulting, almost insulting. It seems impossible to us that the manger, the donkey and the cross are really, really what God is like. It seems impossible that that would be the case to us. Let me read you something that Karl Barth wrote in 1953. Theologian Karl Barth said this, if we think this is impossible, then it is because our concept of God is too narrow, too arbitrary, too human. Who God is and what it is to be divine is something we must learn where God has revealed himself. And if he has revealed himself in Jesus Christ as the God who does this, then it is not for us to be wiser than he. To our way of thinking, surely God is exalted above everything lowly. Surely God is untouchable by suffering. Surely God is too transcendent for us to really see or touch and know and get a hold of. Karl Barth said such beliefs turn out to be corrupt, untenable and pagan because he says God does in fact be and do this in Jesus Christ and he shows himself to be more great and rich and sovereign than we had ever imagined. 
the manger was not a detour. This really is what the living God is like. This is his lordship and his kingship and his majesty. This is it. God is never as we would expect him to be. And it is always good news. And I want to say, do not be so proud and clever that you cannot hear this good news, this Advent and this Christmas. Don't be so proud that you won't bow the knee to God in flesh as a baby. That you won't submit your, your thinking and your life to God revealed in humility and smallness, even in suffering on the cross. Because I want us to see a second thing from this verse. A second thing. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights. Just notice that we're thinking about gifts coming from above, coming down from the Father of lights. In God's world, good gifts come down. The Father gives from above. This is the way God shows himself to be all the time. Think of it like this, God's greatness and his goodness, God's blessing is not sort of tucked away up safe in heaven. Think about if you're you know, walking on um, wet and rainy streets and if you're wearing either long trousers or uh, a dress, you know, we might sort of hitch, hitch things up to try and keep them out of the, the puddles, wouldn't we? We'd do that, you know, we'd hitch it all up and keep it safe. It's not like that with the Lord. Just He lets it all go from above. He lets it all drop. With God, it's all, it's all downhill. His greatness and his goodness he lets it fly upon us. Think of that famous passage in Isaiah 55. You'll know this. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So, ha, no, that's not what the Lord says. With his highness, with his exaltedness, what's, what's he going to say next? As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth." With his highness, with his exaltedness, with his majesty, with his being far above us, God works in and by descending and humbling and reaching down to us. It all runs downhill, blessing, coming, giving life, filling us, overflowing to us, giving life and nourishment to us. And in the manger at Christmas, of course, is the most precious and perfect good gift that God the Father ever gave, his own son, given freely to us who were his enemies. The word who came down from heaven like rain and snow to feed us, to give us life. The father of lights, revealing himself in the light of the world. 
the arrival of Jesus at Christmas is God revealing himself in downward mobility. We have upward mobility. God has downward mobility in humility, in weakness, in smallness, in compassion. Compassion to us. Not holding himself aloof or away from us, but coming to us in his fullness. We s- we'll sing, no doubt, over these next few weeks. He came down to earth from heaven, who is God and Lord of all. And his shelter was a stable, and his cradle was a stall with the poor and mean and lowly lived on earth our saviour holy in this way god is giving us himself god gives us in his very self he doesn't keep himself away from us in parallel to what he's doing here in jesus what god is doing here in jesus is giving us himself and he doesn't come with the outward visible power and glory and splendor that we might expect but in the smallness of the baby, in the foolishness of the cross, God is displaying his power to save us and deliver us from sin and the world and Satan. This is God in his glory. This is God in his saving power. This is God in his true divine life. And I want to say this evening that if If you're expecting him to be like the God of your imagination, you will lose him. If you're expecting God to be different than Jesus, the baby in the manger, you will miss out on him. This Christmas, I want to invite you to allow your own human thinking to be assaulted and confronted and turned upside down by the baby. When Jesus comes among us, it is in humility and gentleness, but it is also, in a way, a kind of judgment on us because it reveals how warped and distorted and, frankly, poor and rubbish our views of God are. We underestimate him so much. But when Jesus comes, he shows us this is how the Lord is. His glory and majesty, his power, his kingship, They're all about pouring blessing and life down and becoming low. He never forces us to reach upwards. He just hands himself down. I want to read to you, as I come to an end, from an Advent sermon of Martin Luther, preached in 1533. Here's what he says. This now is our king the dear lord jesus christ and this is his kingdom and office it deals not with golden crowns and kingdoms or with great worldly pomp no but when we must die and cannot retain this life any longer then it is his office to to work and deliver us from sin death and the power of hell and through the preaching of the gospel he announces to us that we shall certainly receive this gift or benefit from him so that when we are in trouble in account of our sins 
or in danger of death, we can comfort ourselves by faith and say, now help is afforded me through my dear King, Jesus Christ, the just one and Savior. To this end he came so lowly and poor and suffered himself to be nailed to the cross that he might justify and sanctify me in himself. He has destroyed my sin and death, gives me his own righteousness and victory over death and hell and gives me also his Holy Spirit that I may have in my heart a sure seal and witness of his help. See now, Luther says, whoever believes this, as he hears it, and as it is preached in the gospel, he also has it. If you simply believe this of Jesus, you have it. In a moment, we're going to come to the Lord's table, and Leanna is going to lead us. And we come to communion to be empty-handed receivers. We don't, we don't come with anything to give to God to offer up. We just receive his goodness and his blessing passed to us. At the Lord's table, we receive the body and blood of Jesus, giving his very life for us, to feed us, to nourish us, to give us life. And this evening, I want to encourage you to come, come in a sense, to put to death the worldly, human, intelligent ideas that you may have of what God is like, a God who is not like Jesus. Come with empty, open hands, just, just the open, empty hands of faith that will receive him according to how he says he is, according to how he is here in bread and wine, offering himself to you freely and in great love. The manger was not a detour. The manger where Jesus laid as a baby was set in the heart and mind of God in eternity, and it was set towards the cross. It was set towards the cross where Jesus gave his body and his blood for you and for me. Let's have a moment of quiet and then Leanna will lead us in communion.